This is Gliza for Classical Adventures for One, where I read classical work dramatically and discuss things about that work that I find interesting and want to share with my listeners. If that's something that you're into, stick around and let's talk about fictional books of the past. I was so happy to finally read today's chapter reading because I finally met the Cheshire Cat and understood his appeal. The Caterpillar, the Cheshire Cat, and the Mad Hatter are usually my favorites when it comes to the Alice reinterpretations that I've watched and seen, and I'm just so happy that the Cheshire Cat met my expectations so well with how awesome he would be as a character. If you joined me on my dramatic chapter reading, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if you haven't heard it, as always, the link to it can be found down below. The art pieces for today are made by the super talented Whitney from Pixie Wit. I've been a Patreon of hers for quite a while, and I love so much of her work. I'm super excited to see where she's going to go. And if you want to support her, please, please visit her Patreon below. You won't regret it because every month or so, I get like a ton of really cool stickers from her and they're always so pretty and so cool. I also linked her other social stuff, so give her a follow wherever you can because I know you won't regret it. Of all of the classic books I've ever read, and that's not a large number, There really is just one that has caught my attention and my heart and refuses to let go. It's Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. I love it so much that I regret reading it now because that means I can't read it for this podcast and rediscover my love for that book. I've read all kinds of remakes and rewritings of that book. The one where it's a modern retelling, I've read it. The YouTube series in modern times, I've watched it. The retelling that involved them fighting zombies, I have the unfortunate copy of the book. I've also read the one where they switched genders. Not as great, but I've read it. The one where they're dragon trainers, that one was amazing. I have read and read it again and again. Honestly, it's not even just Pride and Prejudice. I just love retellings and re-explorations of already written stories. Maybe I just really enjoy the world so much that revisiting it in different ways is just something I enjoy doing. Today's episode, I want to talk about two specific works of Charles Ludwig Dodgson, better known to everyone else as Lewis Carroll. I want to talk about the other Wonderland books, specifically Alice's Adventures Underground and The Nursery Alice. You can call it the prequel and the remake, though to be honest, you can't really consider Alice's Adventures Underground as the prequel, as it does not really tell the story before Alice in Wonderland. Now, as I mentioned in the first episode, Alice's Adventures Underground was the manuscript on which the published story was based on. 
It was the leather-bound manuscript that Charles wrote for Alice Little as a Christmas gift. It has less chapters than the published book and only contains four chapters. The first three chapters contain almost the same plot as the Alice in Wonderland as we know it, but when we reach chapter four, it goes from meeting the caterpillar to going straight to what would be the beginning of chapter eight, where Alice meets three gardeners painting, number two, number five, and number seven, painting the white roses red so that the queen of hearts would not behead them. Here are samples of the minor changes that jumped out at me when I first read Alice's Adventures Underground. The box in which the very small cake that had the words eat me on it was not actually made of glass and eat me was not made with currants but was written on a card. It was sniffing on a nosegay instead of fanning herself that made Alice become smaller the second time around in chapter 2. Mabel, the little girl who knew very little according to Alice, was originally named Florence. Alice and the rest of the animals that had a swim in the pool of tears did not run a race in circles to dry themselves. They just went straight to the rabbit's house and the long walk dried them. My favorite little change was instead of flamingos as mallets for the croquet game, Charles had originally used ostriches. I think that's hilarious because I can't get this image out of my mind of a giant ostrich being used by a nine-year-old little girl. In this first version of Alice's Adventures Underground, we never meet the Cheshire Cat, the Mad Hatter, the March Hare, the Dormouse, or even the Duchess. The Duchess and the Queen of Hearts were combined into one same character called the Queen of Hearts and the Marchioness of Mock Turtles. We also see a bit more detail given to the duck, the dodo, the lorry, and the eaglet. The Alice of this manuscript mentioned that she felt that she was starting to become so close with the lorry and the eaglet, almost like sisters, with the lorry and the eaglet characters being based on Alice's older and younger sister respectively. Alice talks about how the duck, based on the Reverend Duckworth, had a nice song for them as they came through the water and the dodo led them along to a nice little cottage of the white rabbit. Much like we're being led in this adventure by Charles himself, whom the dodo is based on. Speaking of Charles, instead of Sir John Tenniel's artwork gracing the pages of this manuscript, Charles' artwork was the one present in this book. When you look at it, you can definitely see the influences that Charles had on Sir John's finished work. It's definitely impressive considering how Charles had admitted that this was the first time he's ever really drawn anything. Sure, it's definitely not perfect, but I do think if he had actually spent more of his life drawing, it might have led somewhere. Still, it's definitely a better deal for his published work that he had hired Sir John. With this manuscript, you can definitely tell it's a work of love, and it's definitely more personal. After all, what can we really expect when it's meant to be a gift for a child? Charles admits in his book that the main purpose of his story was never to publish it, and he blames his two partial friends who always have to bear the blame when a writer rushes into print. It's really heartwarming to read that though his friends, who loved his work before he published it, had showered him with praise, it's still the children, his child fans, 
those fans are what continued to make him so happy. In fact, he was so happy with his child fans that he decided to do a remake of Alice in Wonderland. He decided to rewrite Alice in Wonderland into Nursery Alice. The main goal of this endeavor was that he wanted to reach younger children, or as he put it in the preface of the Nursery Alice, from naught to five, meant to be read aloud to children who did not have the ability to read. The preface of the book addresses the mothers of these young fans, saying that Nursery Alice is meant to be thumbled, to be cooed over, to be dogs-eared, to be rumpled, to be kissed by the illiterate, ungrammatical, dimpled darlings that fill your nursery with the merry uproar and your innermost hearts of hearts with restful gladness. Unlike the short Alice's adventures underground, the nursery Alice has 14 chapters, two chapters more than the published Alice in Wonderland. However, since this is meant for children not to five, each chapter was definitely a lot shorter. The narrator for the nursery Alice sounds a bit different this time around, and I think the way the chapter is written, it's definitely meant to be read to a restless child before bed, filled with questions addressing the playful listener. As for the pictures in this book, Charles decided that using Sir John's artwork was the way to go. He had them enlarged and colored, though not all of the artwork was used. Another thing that I've noticed in regards to this version is that the narrator asked the child several times to look at the picture in the book, even describing what they should be looking at. This is a book meant to be read aloud and for the benefit of one who cannot read the story themselves. I can imagine a parent with a bouncing child on their lap, the book placed in front of them, with that same parent lovingly reading the nursery Alice. If Charles's goal was to write a book aimed for not to five, I think that goal of his was a resounding success with this version of Wonderland. It should not come as a surprise then that a lot of the wordplay that can be found in the original story is not as easily found in this Nursery Alice version. One of the things that I struggled with in my dramatic reading of this book is that I can't adequately act out some of the visual wordplay that Charles did. For example, when the mouse was talking about his long tail as in story, Alice mistook it for him talking about his tail as in appendage. The book shows the story in a winding bend, giving it the picture of a tail. But I suppose it did make up for it by adding little side stories, like the one about a puppy named Dash that was given oatmeal porridge as a birthday treat because the kids loved it and they were surprised that Dash didn't actually enjoy this oatmeal porridge cake. Honestly, those kids are a little weird in the first place for liking oatmeal porridge as a birthday treat. Another addition that I really enjoyed was the one about the foxglove, saying that it actually means folksglove, referring to fairies as the good folk. Honestly though, if you enjoyed reading Alice in Wonderland, reading Nursery Alice is definitely a lot of fun as well. It's definitely a fun summary for the whole book, and if you ever need to read Alice quickly for maybe a book summary or a book report, I'm sure this would have been a great read for you too. I actually bought a copy of this Nursery Alice book and it's gorgeous, so I would definitely recommend to get your own copy of this. 
As for the original manuscript, Alice's Adventures Underground, it can be found in the British Museum and has been there since 1948. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, it was actually donated to the museum as a token of gratitude from America, according to the British Library, for Britain's stand against Adolf Hitler during World War II. If you want to actually read the book online, you can visit the link in the description below and look for the Turning Pages tool at the bottom of the page. Definitely thank you guys for joining me on this adventure. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe, like, and share if you found this episode interesting. I would love to hear from you, so please leave a comment below if you have anything that you want me to know or tips to improve on. If you're listening to it anywhere else, please subscribe, like, and share it to people you think might like it anyway. And you can also email me at classicalgliza at gmail.com. Again, I'm Gliza, and this has been Classical Adventures for One. See you on the next adventure. <laughs>